My subject this morning is deception. Uh, last week I talked about the greatest deception ever made by Satan when he told Eve that don't worry about what God says. Don't be concerned about that. Your life will be better. Your eyes will be open if you listen to me and you will be like God. So let's go to Genesis. We're going to go to Genesis 3. And here is the recording. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of the tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst, in the center of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said to, unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, that your eyes shall be open, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now, I'm going to give you some background about this deception. In Genesis 2, 7, the Bible says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. In most translations, it says, and man became a living being. Now, the original Hebrew, it talks about breath, and it means either wind or spirit. And the original Hebrew for life is plural. But when it was translated down to Septuagint, it was left this way. The life. But it's plural, meaning more than one. So here's what happened. When God breathed into the nostrils of Adam, he breathed into him the wholeness of God, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they had created the perfect man, perfect in every respect. And man was united with his maker. There was a oneness between Adam and God. And not only was there that oneness, but Adam was exactly like God. He was breathed into, into Adam's nostrils the breath of life and the wholeness of God. And so Adam was in the likeness of God. Wasn't God, but in the likeness of God. Now, this is when the devil came by and he said to Eve, no, you're not going to die. First of all, you're not going to die. And then he says, you have nothing to worry about because if you do as I say, you are going to be like God. And that is the biggest deception in all of the Bible because they were already like God. But it's the same today. The same deception is today because the Bible is trying to tell us 
that everything that we need in godliness, we already have. In fact, in the, in the scripture, it says here in 1 Peter, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He has given us everything that we need. Everything it's given to us. Now, we need to understand what really happens. You see, today, according to the Bible, that Christ gave himself for us to give himself to us. When we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we receive a new life. We receive God's life. So that is God's way of putting God back into man. That's why the Bible says that you must be born again. And when you accept Christ by faith, it is God's rebirth. He rebirths you spiritually. We were in Adam, and now we are in Christ. And that rebirth takes place. And we become born again, born of God, born of the Spirit. A new creation. That's who we are. Whether we understand it, whether we believe it or not, that's exactly what has happened to us. And that's who we are. Now, what does that really mean? Because the problem is, I still sin. And you're saying that you're, you're complete, you're complete forever, you're forgiven forever, it's once for all, you're saying all those things. And I hear what you're saying, but I don't understand it because I still sin. Well, you are born of God. And you can prove it to yourself. Nobody has to tell you. You can prove it to yourself. Either by sinning and being miserable or by depending upon Christ and being fulfilled. It's one or the other. To the Christian, it's one or the other. And it's proof positive that you have been born of the Spirit, born of God. In 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Notice this in 1 John. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence in the day of judgment in this world in this world, that's where we are right now. In this world, we are, not will be, not could be, we are like Jesus. Now, the Bible makes it pretty plain. The problem is, is that our spirit, when, when God took out that stony heart, put in his heart, that spirit is absolutely pure and perfect. That spirit does not sin. The only reason that we sin 
is because of the power of sin that dwells in us. But that's not of us. And that's what Paul said. Notice in Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, there's a lot of controversy about the renewing of the mind. I understand that in the, in, in the Christian church today. Some have, uh, they have an outline on how you can renew your mind by studying the scripture, by prayer, by having all of these things. But the renewing of the mind is simply renewing what has happened to you. What has taken place? I have been born again. I was born of the Spirit, born of God. And I need to renew my mind of that every single day. Every, almost, in, in some cases, it's almost every hour that I have to be reminded who I am in Christ. Now, the question often is asked, well, how can this new spiritual creation in Christ who is dead to sin and alive to God, still fails so many times. Well, there is a reason. And one is called the flesh, and the other is called the power of sin that dwells within the body. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. The flesh is something that we set our minds on. For the mind set on the flesh is death. I'll explain a little bit later what the flesh is, but the mind that's set on the flesh is and not on the spirit, or on the spirit is life and peace. The flesh is something that we walk according to. In fact, in Galatians 5, 16, it says, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. The flesh battles against the spirit. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war against the flesh. And notice here, this, this I say then, walk in the spirit, and he shall not fulfill the lusts the lust of the flesh. So the Bible is pretty plain. It tells us what our flesh is. It tells us how we can, the responsibility that we have of not to walk in the flesh, but walk in the spirit. And then the Bible says, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Sometimes, some translations, not to do whatever you please. The flesh is a way to think and act. It is a network of strategies to try to get what the flesh wants. We employ these things on life to avoid pain. We use the flesh to seek success. I guess the best way to explain the flesh, it is a worldly way 
to be okay. That's what the flesh is. It's a worldly way to be okay. The world focuses on, on success. The world focuses on avoiding pain. And so the Bible says that we should put no confidence in the flesh. The flesh is not us. That is one of the good news of the gospel. When you were born again and you received that new heart, it's a pure heart. It has no desire to sin. You have lost the desire to sin. Can you still sin? Of course. You can walk after the flesh. You can listen to the flesh. And that's why Paul says, when you do that, just count yourself dead to sin and you'll be okay. Just count yourself dead. And I've developed that practice, and believe me, it's a wonderful way to go through life. A thought comes through, and, and, and all of a sudden you don't question, what is it? Where did that come from? You just say, I am dead to that. Lord, I am dead to that. So Paul says, put no confidence in the flesh. In fact, in, <clears throat> in Philippians, he says... <clears throat> What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that they may gain Christ. King James says, I consider them dumb. I consider them garbage. Yes, have no confidence in the flesh. But I want to say something. I want to touch on a little, little subject called self. Somehow, Christians, they get the impression that self is kind of dirty, that self is kind of bad. Um, and so they come up with this thing that we need to empty ourselves. Well, that concept is in almost every religion in the world today that you have to empty yourself um, as if there's definitely something wrong with self. And then we hear the terminology of all of God and none of me. All of God and none of me. Now, it sounds spiritual, but what does that really mean? All of God and none of me. We were created to be partakers with Christ. I mean, when we were born again, we were made new. So we are slaves to righteousness. I don't know why that is so hard to seem for us to grasp that. We are slaves of righteousness. That's all we want to do is right. If it wasn't for that indwelling power of the sin, if it wasn't for that, 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 that constant barragement from, from the devil himself, I mean, we have no, absolutely no desire to sin. Can we yield to the temptation? Yes, and we all do. But the truth is, it is all of God, and it's all of you. You don't need to empty yourself 
Yourself is perfect as far as God is concerned. You don't need to do that. You have Christ living in self. So how could self be dirty? How could self be bad? When that's the dwelling place of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Galatians 2.20. A text that we're all familiar with. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. And that is one text that is oftentimes used for that. Of emptying yourself. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. The whole point of this text. The whole point. Is that our old self died. I have been crucified. I died with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. We are no longer, we are not our old self. So there's nothing wrong with our self. We are not our old self. So what does our old self look like? Well, you are brand new. You are new. You are united with Christ. And through the indwelling Christ, he lets you be you. There's only one person like you in this world, and that's you. There is no duplicate. God wants to live his life through you. Because you are special to God. There's nobody quite like you. So he wants to live that life through you, through the unique you. The bottom line is, there's nothing wrong with you. Absolutely nothing wrong with you. God loves you just the way you are. And he, he's, he has said to himself and to us, if there's any changes, I'll do the changing. I'll do it. You don't have to do it. The core message is that you are a new creation. Now, it's true. There's no question about it that we can have attitudes that rise up from the flesh. We can be, be selfish. Selfishness can occur in our lives. But that doesn't mean that we're dirty on the inside. That doesn't mean that our flesh, our self, is just, is, is just so dirty that, that God can hardly stand to look at it. No, that's where God dwells in our self. So we're not dirty. We're pure. We have Christ living in us. And we couldn't ask for anything more. Now, some have wondered about being in and out of the Spirit. I've had that question come to me many, many times. You may have heard someone say that I was praying in the Spirit. And the Lord spoke to me. Well, I had a dear friend out in the state of Washington 
was a very strong Christian, in my eyes anyway. And I went to visit him. And um, he had five children, a wonderful wife. And as I w- we were visiting, he says, I've got some good news for you, Gary. I said, oh, great, what is it? He says, well, he says, I was praying in the spirit, and God told me to tell you something. Of course, my first thought was, you know, God, you could have saved the trip. I mean, I, you could have just come to me. But, but I didn't, because I, I really respected him a lot. And I said, well, what is the message? Well, he told me the message. And as he was unfolding the message to me, I thought to myself, what? God told him this? And I just kind of thought, well, I'm going to wait till God tells me now because this doesn't sound right. Well, several weeks went by and I got a phone call and uh, they told me that Leon was in a checked himself into this mental institution. And I went there to see him, sat down, had prayer with him and everything. And it, was, it wasn't that he, he was mentally disturbed or anything else like that. He was so confused in his head. He was so mixed up. And things were not going the way he thought they would go. Uh, his whole life was sort of in turmoil and uh, so he had prayer, and I think it was three days later, he, he, he was able to check himself out. And I went to pick him up and brought him home. But he had this idea that, that somehow you could be in and out of the spirit. And so in Romans, now listen to this carefully. The Bible says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So the Bible is very clear. The Bible tells us that we are in the Spirit. We are no longer in the flesh. Make no mistake about it. You have the Spirit living in you. And the Spirit will never, never be out of you. And you will never be out of the Spirit. It's an impossibility. Once you've accepted Christ, once that new heart, the Spirit of God lives in you and never will be out of you. Some people say, well, wait a minute. You mean to tell me that even when I mess up, They say, I'm still in the Spirit, and I'm saying, yes, that's exactly right. You're still in the Spirit. My wife grew up in a very strong, conservative Christian home. She was taught as a child that if you went to the movie theater, the Spirit stayed outside, the Holy Spirit stayed outside. Then when you came back out, he came back in. So that's where that concept, that in and out of the Spirit, Now, that used to be a very popular belief. If you'd go into a bar, the Holy Spirit would stay outside, wouldn't go in. And so 
there was no concept of, of Christ living in the person, dwelling in the person, always in, never out, always in, never out. Now, why was she taught this? Well, I knew her parents. I loved them both. They were wonderful Christians. But they had no concept of the Spirit always in. They thought the Spirit was in and out, in and out, depending on you. They had no concept. They did not understand that Christ lives in them and it's his desire to live through them. They didn't have that concept. They didn't have that concept of a new heart, that God came, took that stony heart out, and put his heart in. And I'll tell you, all through the years, I've met, in, as an evangelist, I've met thousands and thousands of people. And I've never met a Christian, a born-again Christian, that there was something, some magnet to that person. Now, I've had a lot of people come up to me that were kind of strange and weird and the way they were thinking and everything. But if they were born again, even in their weirdness, I felt a magnet towards them. There's something about being reborn. Whether you agree with the person or not, there's something about that re rebirth. Christ living in them. And, and so many people don't understand it. I mean, when you talk about Christ living in you, it's confusing to them. They don't know how that works. And, and, and so they're almost, they're almost in denial. But it's true, whether they believe it or whether they accept it, it's absolutely true. It's the gospel. So, even when we mess up in the Holy Spirit, he doesn't leave us. He's with us all the time. The Bible says that there is a war going on. No question. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit, that you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For there are, they, there are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. All right. That sounds good. But what is it that you please? Well, I think we've learned here in Grace Bible that in Christ, our have-tos, they are changing to want-tos. That's Christ dwelling in the individual. Our have-tos are changing. God is changing them into want-tos. The more that we understand that we're a child of God, the greater the change comes. The greater the change. So it's the flesh that is keeping me from the things that please God. Because they please me. And the flesh does not want any sign of righteousness at all. My want-tos is what pleases me now. Never used to. But it's happening now. 
The bottom line is, you are not the flesh. You are a child of God. You are dead to sin. And you are alive to God. You are alive to him. When you sin, yes, we can all sin and we all do. Most of the time, we, after we sin, we go, what in the world is wrong with me? What's going on in here? Because that is not me. That is not me. So I'm going to talk a little bit about repentance. Because oftentimes, I've had people, and uh, I'm not proud of it, but I've had people say to me, do you believe in repentance? Or is this all just God doing it and God doing it? Well, what about, do you believe in repentance? And I've always said, yes, I do. Repentance is often misunderstood. Repentance is a change of mind that causes a chain of action. So repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of action. Most of the time you hear repentance is you've got to do that 180 and, and, and that's it. You've got to change. You've got to do this. You've got to do this. And, and God's giving you the power to do it. And God's doing this. And God's doing that. Well, let me explain a little bit how it works. If I'm walking down the wrong path, I went to a Trace Diaz uh, several years ago. And it's a three-day where all men and, and uh, you explore the wonders and greatness of God. And uh, one of the speakers was a, a pastor, a former pastor anyway. I don't know if he's still pastoring. And he gave a powerful, powerful message to us. He had been into pornography for 10 years, 10 years, he lost his wife and his children over it. They didn't want anything to do with it. 10 years. And, um, and now he's a powerful, powerful spe speaker for the Lord. We're walking down the wrong path. And we've all been there. We've all walked down that wrong path. We're walking down the wrong path. And all of a sudden, we get sick and tired of being sick and tired, of being guilty, feeling guilty, going through all that. And we stop, and we said enough is enough, and we turn around 180 degrees, and we start walking, and we start realizing that that wasn't me. That wasn't me going down this way. It just wasn't me. This is me. This is who I am. This is who I am in Christ. I'm a born-again believer. How in the world did I get confused? How in the world did I let that happen? How in the world did that happen to me? And all of a sudden, there's a different vision of God, His forgiveness and everything else, and you're, you're steadily thinking, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. I'm on the right road now. That's repentance. 
It's changing our mind. When John the Baptist, when he was crying out to the, his fellow Jews, repent. He wasn't asking them to, uh, you're not obeying the commandments, you're not doing this, you're not doing that. He says, no, change your mind about God. And then when he saw Jesus Christ, he said, behold the Lamb of God. He was asking them to change their mind and attitude about God. And that's really what the exchange life is. It's asking the Christian to change his mind about God. For him to change how God sees him and views him and loves him just the way he is. And God's promise. He says, I will recreate them into my image. I will do it. That means, thank God I don't have to do it. Thank God is all I have to do is believe that he will do it. And believe who I am in Christ. Do you want to know what the real gospel, the meaning of the real gospel is? It means that you are forgiven and cleansed. So act like it. It means that Christ is living in you. So act like it. It means that you are united in Christ. You are a oneness with Christ. So act like it. This Bible is very simple. You read it, and when you read it, God's Spirit will convince you what is truth. It's, it's not a proof text method of studying the Bible. It's that, that's not the way it is. You don't go here, you don't go there, you don't go here, and then all of a sudden you come up with something. It's not the way it works. I know the Bible says here a little, there a little. I don't know all that. But you have to be careful with here a little, there a little, and be careful with how you do it. Merging the Old and the New Testament is not an easy thing to do. You have to be very careful when you do it. The biggest problem that we have, one of the biggest problems, as we tie repentance into forgiveness. Now you notice that if I'm walking one way, I come through the Holy Spirit, we come to the realization that enough is enough, I'm sick and tired of this life, I can't take it anymore, and I do that 180 degree and I start heading back. You notice that I'm not one who, who feels and believes that somebody needs to say, all of a sudden get down on their knees and, oh, God, please forgive me for those 10 years. Please forgive me for this. Please forgive me. God already forgave him 2,000 years ago. Forgiveness is a once for all. Forgiveness takes the blood. Jesus shed his blood 2,000 years ago, and he died for the sins of the world, past, present, future. It's time that when we come to the realization that we're doing something that we shouldn't be doing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God. Yes, it was a bad experience. 
It's bad being miserable for 10 years. It's bad feeling guilty for 10 years. It's bad doing all that. But praise God. He promised that he would never leave us nor forsake us. He would be with us always, even to the very end. You are always forgiven. You can leave this church knowing that no matter what happens, God loves you just the way you are and that no matter what you do, you are forgiven in the eyes of God. But you need to remember one thing too, that you're a new you. You have a new heart. You have new desires. Now it's nothing to do with these have-tos. It's nothing to do with the law of God. It's nothing to do with that. It's now God has put something in your heart that makes you want to. And that is the true gospel. When a person wants to instead of have to. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have made it clear to us that you love us, that you desire only good things for us. And we pray that as we walk in your spirit, as we put our full trust and confidence in you living in us and through us, that we'll enjoy and we'll be praising you all through our life and throughout eternity. Thank you for this life. Thank you, Lord, for your, your wonderful message of grace. Bless us now. Meet the needs that each one of us have, just as you have promised. And we will praise you throughout eternity. Bless us, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.